0: This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hello, Mindful listeners. Thank you so much once again for joining us today, spending part of your day with us here. Listen, in this time, and I, I know when you're listening to this, but we are in a crisis, a healthcare crisis, and it's time that we start looking at our healthcare providers and making sure that they are safe and taken care of because as a, um, a doctor myself and a practitioner for the last 20 years, burnout is a real thing. And when it happens, it can not only affect the healthcare provider, but it also affects patients. So I have a guest, Dr. Greg Hammer, who is an MD, is a pediatric intensive care physician, a pediatric anesthesiologist and a professor at Stanford University Medical Center. He's going to tell us much more about him. With that background, I think maybe he does know a little bit about burnout, but he wrote a great book called Gain Without Pain. So turning that little thing on its head, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. So Dr. Greg Hammer, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Holly. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, listen, this is real. Tell us about it. This burnout, you know, we've heard about it and folks that are practicing and seeing patients nonstop get burnt out. Tell us what constitutes burnt out and why is it on the rise amongst healthcare professionals in this day?
1: Burnout can be described as a syndrome where people get impatient. They tend to separate from those around them. They depersonalize things They have difficulty focusing on their job. They feel self-judgment and self-blame. They don't look forward to going to work and, you know, in severe cases they undergo depression and, and maybe even have thought of suicide. This is not necessarily specific to people in the healthcare field. I think that people in many professions and just in life in general, Things are difficult, especially right now. So I think that this is a problem that's experienced by many. But in the healthcare field, it affects more than half of us. There's more than one physician suicide per day. Mm. And it de- definitely affects patient care. Sure. So we, it's, it's a syndrome. We know it when we see it, even if it's a little bit difficult to define, but we know what the signs and symptoms are. And it's not, not unique to us, but um, certainly has profound repercussions when physicians are burnt out because there is a decrement in patient care. There's an increase in medical and surgical errors, increase in nosocomial infections in hospitals. I think that's because people are have sort of lost their extreme vigilance, don't wash their hands as much. That's just a a theory. But anyway, there are an increase in adverse events when uh, medical care professionals are burnt out.
0: Right. I mean, you got to think about it. It's like people think about it's health care professionals. So we're in the care business. So being at our best, being healthy ourselves is probably the best thing that we can do to help take care of other people. And when that starts to slip, and just for the listeners, nosocomial infections, pretty much means you go into a hospital and you get an infection that you didn't have before you went in there. And so there's, you know, because that's a place where there are a lot of bugs and stuff and without care and proper cleaning. And like you said, that vigilance, those things can can be on the rise. So what do you think are the contributing factors, especially, um, you know, why is it on the rise now?
1: I think there are um, factors that relate to the practice of medicine. I think that patients are getting sicker There's more and more information that uh, physicians and others in healthcare have to process, but I think it stems in large part due to conditions that surround us in our hospitals and clinics and other practicing environments whereby the administration is telling us, for example, to see more and more patients every hour, and yet we don't have the infrastructure for that, so that patients are waiting in waiting rooms longer, there aren't enough treatment rooms, the administration hasn't allowed us to spend money to adequately outfit the treatment rooms. So, I'll give you an example. A primary care physician is in a treatment room with a patient and they're instructed not to break eye contact with the patient and to make sure they hand the patient a page with their instructions for what to do at home and how to prepare for their next visit and maybe their next appointment and the physician is finishing with the patient or the nurse practitioner, or physician's assistant or dietitian, whomever, and they're supposed to print this page so they go to the computer, the patient's in the room, and there's no printer in the room. So they have to excuse themselves, run across the other side of the clinic, and the printer there is out of paper. And so this kind of thing takes time. It it does break our contact with the patient and when you add this up over 20 30 visits per day keeps us in the hospital a lot longer. Right. The electronic medical record is a double-edged sword. Yep. So many people have probably been in an appointment with a healthcare provider and noticed that the provider is facing their computer screen almost the entire time instead of looking at us, the patient. And that also is a source of frustration that tends to add to our workload and keep us in the hospital longer or the clinic longer, or cause us to take work home. So the work hours are increasing. We're being scrutinized for more and more elements of our practice by the bean counters, let's say. We have press gainy scores, for example, that, that are supposed to be an accurate indicator of our quality and performance and patient satisfaction. And the patients are dinging us because of things outside of our control, such as longer work times in the waiting room, not enough times with us in the clinic space. So there are a lot of conditions that contribute to this, the complexity of processing paperwork for payers, having to hire more staff, longer hours doing administrative tasks, you name it. So it's a a crisis.
0: It's, it's real. Yes, the struggle is real. It is. And, and it is trickled down, right? So not only that healthcare uh, professional, but also the patients will suffer too. Now, I think you've done a pretty darn good job of taking care of yourself, being a health enthusiast and a meditator, utilizing a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, including the, something called the GAIN method. So you, you write in your book, this incredible book, gain, right, without pain. But we, we've we always heard this no pain, no gain myth. Why is that harmful?
1: Well, let me say what gain is. Gain is, uh, in the book, it's in capital letters because it's an acronym. And it stands for what I think are the four pillars of happiness and personal resilience. And really, this is a time for us to focus on our resilience, not only because of all these trends in the healthcare field, but of course, related to this coronavirus pandemic. But the GAIN is uh, an acronym standing for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And yes, you're right. Those are the fundamentals of mindfulness as well. Uh, This is something that I've been utilizing in my own meditation. It's just an acronym that kind of occurred to me. I studied Buddhism when I was younger, and I just couldn't remember the 12 ways of this and the 10 paths to that. I thought four letters was about our maximum, <laughs> so it just occurred to me that these are really the principles that I hold most dear with, res- with regard to resilience, which is really the antidote to burnout and really applies to everyone. So, although this book is geared for healthcare professionals, the message, uh, and I'm coming out with a second book, which is just Game Without Pain, your happiness handbook, uh, which will apply to everybody. But the the principles of gain, I think, are key. And particularly in this time, for example, we sometimes forget what we have for which to be grateful. Sure. And even though we may be sitting in our homes ourselves or with a loved one in isolation, and of course there's just nothing but bad news surrounding us every day, things could be worse. We have a lot of gifts in our lives for which we can be grateful, and we need to focus our attention on those. And
0: So G, okay, the G?
1: Yes. go ahead.
0: Gratitude. Um, A acceptance, because I want to make sure that I get these down and, and most importantly, the listeners get these down. So gain G, gratitude, remembering that A is acceptance. So yes, please.
1: And acceptance goes to healthcare provider resilience as well because we, as much as anyone, are used to having some control over our environment. You know, we're healers, we're nurturers, we want, we want to kind of control things to a place where we feel comfortable, where, that serves our wants and needs and taking care of others or ourselves, but we can't always do that, and this is a particular time to remind ourselves of the importance of acceptance, because this pandemic was not caused by us, and we cannot cure it, and as you know, Holly, in the healthcare profession, we want to cure everything, that's sure. our nature. Sure. We Want to control things. So we we need to go back to the message of the Serenity Prayer, which is really the foundation of many religions and philosophies. Which is that we need to discern between that which we can we can change and that which we cannot change. Mm. And we cannot change other than in in some ways by isolating ourselves. But we can't change this pandemic. We can't have endless numbers of N ninety five masks and mechanical ventilators made available to us instantly. So we have to do the best we can and accept the adversity that's around us and and really not just push it away and repress it, but sit with it, open our hearts to it, bring it closer, join with it until we really fully, fully accept. And then we can feel our bodies and our minds relax. Yeah.
0: And then I think that has a trickle-down effect too, right? So it's like... You've got superpowers. How are you going to use them for good or for evil? So that burnt outness that can sneak up on you and certainly is on the rise can affect patient care and then patients. But if you can start taking care of yourself and practicing this gain method, and we've got two more to go, the I and the N, that can be as equally trickle down and contagious, right? So Fear and, and fret can be contagious, but these aspects of being able to even if you do have to accept that an you know, an electronic medical record is something that is, you know, commonplace these days in our conventional medicine system, that you still create that eye contact and that connection with that patient that believe you me, probably will make a huge difference than just being shuttled in and shuttled out and made made to wait and all that great stuff.
1: Absolutely, and in fact, I think you know people ask me, "Well, what can we do for our children during this time?" And the key is really just to be calm, grateful, accepting, intentional, nonjudgmental ourselves, and our kids pick up on this. Uh, they're very, very perceptive, as I'm sure you you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And our
1: patients pick up on it too. I have patients in the intensive care unit. I may have a child who's who's dying, and it's an irreversible situation, and Sure, I can explain the science and medicine of the patient's condition to the parents, but they already know that in many cases, if it's a chronic problem what What I can do for them is really just be present with them and be in the room and actually look them in the eye and listen and bring a sense of calm and and gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment myself. And they pick that up remarkably. so it's it's very important to embrace these principles ourselves and make sure that we embody them and radiate them in the presence of others.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's get to this I. I is what, intentional, correct?
1: Intention. Yes. Yeah. And the idea is that we have influence over the way we think. So many people say, well, once you're 25 or 30, you really are kind of the person you are and you can't change the way you think about things. And And that's actually not true. There's good science showing that with functional imaging in the brain, for example, we can modify the way we think. And if we're purposeful about it and intentional about it. So I think, for example, that some say that people don't change. I think people can change if they recognize what it is about them that they want to change, and then they're committed to it and they have a plan. And in in my case, I would advocate for a daily morning practice Uh, again, meditation, which we can talk about. But the point is to be purposeful and intentional. And I'll give you an example of how we can rewire the brain by doing things on purpose, which, again, is one of the fundamentals of mindfulness itself. There's a program or a study called Three Good Things, which originated out of Duke University. And there's a guy named Brian Sexton who runs that. And I I would really encourage people to... The search for Brian Sexton at Duke. He just has wonderful humor and presence. Uh, there's lots of YouTube videos from him, but he started this or, or he carried on, I should say this program at Duke called three good things. And basically all the practice is it is before you go to sleep at night and it takes no time. You can do it while you're turning down your bed or what have you. Think of three good things that happened during the day. So for example, tonight in my own case, I'll think, well, this morning, I had this wonderful conversation with Holly, <laughs> and then yes. I had a wonderful meditation because I'm actually on a retreat this week, which is being done by a live stream. So uh, I'll sit with my teacher from 9 to 11, and I have other things I'm sure that will be wonderful about this day. It's a beautiful day here in California. So if we simply practice this three good things at night before we go to sleep, You can enroll in the study. So there are lots of people enrolled and lots of data. You fill out sequential quality of life questionnaires. One sleeps better and one becomes happier. Uh. And again, this is just using our intention, our purposefulness to guide our thought process just a tiny little bit. And we learn by repetition. And my, my philosophy is take small bites, but do it on a regular basis. So do three good things every night. It takes no time at all. And do a three-minute game meditation, which I described in the book and uh, would be happy to discuss with you in more detail sometime. But do that every morning could take three minutes. And you'll find that you then have the impetus to practice these elements of game throughout the day, and, and we just start feeling better and better about ourselves and the world and Becomes a habit and after three, six months we find that we're a much happier person, a much more highly functional and resilient person.
0: That sounds so much more calmer and more beautiful than somebody waking up to an alarm on their phone and then immediately getting into their texts and emails that are on their phone and that that sets their to-do list for their energy for the day instead of a nice intentional morning practice and as well in the evening. So that is a perfect part of GAIN. I love it.
1: Yes. Well, I listened to uh, one of your podcasts with a woman and forgive me for forgetting her name, but she was talking about addiction to technology and uh, mindfulness and, and you guys were having some yucks yeah, um, sounded like a fun interview.
0: Yeah,
1: but anyway, I think yes, people are addicted, um, and they get up and the first thing they do is check their email, and that becomes again. You know, that's a way of they're wiring their brain, and and that's the purpose of intention or purposefulness is that we can we can reverse that. We can wire our brain differently by focusing on on a more positive practice.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's. Um, I think the intention piece is really important because it's the addiction is hard to break, even if it's that subtle and that quote unquote non harmful. And it's it's almost uh, not even a conscious process anymore. You're just in it, and you don't even realize it. So snapping out of it, getting into a practice that's much more has an internal locus of control other other than this, you know, external locus of control. So I love that part. And then this last part of gain and non-judgment.
1: I think we can all appreciate that our minds are always active, making comparisons and judgments. We don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. It's just kind of this background thing that's looping through different centers in our brain. And, and we've actually got physiologic, neurophysiologic evidence of this with brain imaging, but we are always comparing things and comparing ourselves to other people and our friends to different friends, and it's exhausting. You know, things are either too big or too small, that person's not as smart as I am, or that person's not as beautiful as the other person, and this is going on continuously, and it's kind of running through our mind and periodically we'll have a conversation with a friend about it. It tends to be negative. You know, these judgments comport with our negativity bias. So we we remember the negative and we judge in a negative way, much more so than we remember and judge the positive. So the idea is, and this is somewhat, uh, as the game principles are all interrelated, this is somewhat connected to acceptance, is accepting the world as it is and not judging it. The world is exactly as it is. We didn't create it. We didn't cause the problems in the world. We can't fix them all. Let's just not judge it at all. And there are lots of little non-judgment practices you can have throughout the day. After your gain meditation, you may be driving to work. Instead of getting upset with the guy who changed lanes ahead of you without using his turn signal, just don't judge him at all. Just... If you're going to judge them, judge them with benevolence. But the fact is we can let go of this judgment. Smelling cigarettes on the jacket of a patient's mother Mm. tends to cause me to make a bunch of assumptions, a bunch of judgments. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do that. When When I realize I'm doing that and I let it go, I feel better. So these are all practices that augment our resilience and make us happier, and that's why it's in the subtitle of the book is The Happiness Handbook. So I, I really think that if we can follow a very simple a set of principles to guide us and we adopt a practice, just like, as you know, the importance of eating well, sleeping well, being physically active, doing these other mindful practices will make us happier, more resilient people, and we know in this particular time how important that is.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I can't wait for the handbook for everybody, but for folks that are in this crisis right now, caring for folks and this ever evolving, uh, pandemic gain without pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals, Dr. Greg Hammer, thank you so much for your time, for what you do. Uh, you've got such an impressive background and you yourself could have been part of this burnout, uh, wave, but I think you've done a really good job in taking care of yourself and practicing mindfulness and slowing down and having that be contagious for other. I love your acronym. Um, when I got married, we had a party and it was called the Grace Party, and it stood for gratitude, recognition, acceptance, commitment, eternally. We just thought that we would have this, these community vows you know, with each other, much more expanded than just vows with ourselves. And um, it was one of those things that I try to you know think about and live by, and I've got a new one now. Gain, and I, I you know this not this stuff isn't easy, right? Being mindful, slowing down, especially now that we're sort of all kind of sequestered in our homes and re, you know relying on technology to communicate, which is you know something we've been talking about maybe uh, wanting to distance from or try to un- untangle from. So not easy stuff, but but as you said in the study your your brain can be rewired you can change you can change your thoughts and and give that benevolence instead of the judgment whether it is the turn signal that you're supposed to visualize or or the the cigarette smoke on the parent's jacket so thank you so much and i see folks can know more about you at greghammermd.com so i'm going to spell that out g r e g h a m m e r md.com Um, I'm so happy and privileged to be part of your wonderful thing that happened today (laughs) and enjoy your retreat, and (laughs) I really, really appreciate you.
1: Holly, I feel likewise. I love the GRACE acronym, and uh, I'd be more than pleased to be with you anytime.
0: Great. We will definitely have you back. Um, Please take care of yourself, and um, listeners out there, you too, take care of yourself and each other, and we're going to see you next time.
1: Bye-bye, Holly.
0: All right. Take care, hon. Thank you.